Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Are we good to go with today's uh, questions, etc.? Yeah, I like, uh, well, I like how you kept them quite open, mostly. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, we we might we might delve deep into that Marco Royce topic. Let's see, let's see how it goes. Yeah, me and Ian <laughs> nearly had a fight about that earlier. <laughs> well, um, I'm I w- just going to be I quiet and listen. I wouldn't win that fight. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> anyway, uh, joining me, Ian McCourt, on today's One Football Podcast is Lewis Ambrose. Hello. And Helga Voltman. Hi. Remember, it's Monday or Tuesdays for the Premier League podcast with Dan Burke. It's Wednesdays for the women's football with Angelina Kelly. And Thursdays, obviously, for the one with myself. The feed is the same. Uh, the email address is the same. If you want to get in touch, ask any questions and any comments, any uh, any recommendations. I don't know. I don't know why I've got recommendations written here, but I have. Uh, so send any comments, podcast at onefootball.com. Uh, so we have the two of you here. Uh, and it's only right we should talk Bundesliga. And it's only right that we talk about Dortmund, who lost 2-1. To Freiburg. The yeah, week. you're saying it like it's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Uh, they've now uh, lost three of their last four games, sixth place, three points off the top four. Lewis, I'm starting to worry for them. And I think they're starting to worry for themselves. It, Because, it, it, uh, I mean, maybe you could fill people in because essentially the club really, really needs to qualify for the Champions League. Isn't that the case? Yeah, there's um, there's no understating how important it is for Dortmund to be in the Champions League. Obviously, they don't have to. They have a lot more money than a lot of German clubs, um, than every German club other than Bayern Munich. That also goes hand in hand with spending a lot more money than every German club that isn't Bayern Munich in terms of player wages and that sort of thing. And they've budgeted. The Dortmund budget exists to account for Dortmund being in the Champions League every season. They know that it's not a God-given right. They know they have to perform in order to be in the Champions League. They also don't expect to ever be playing in front of an empty stadium. Mm -hmm. So in a normal scenario, maybe one year outside the Champions League wouldn't be a disaster for Dortmund. This season... The projections at the moment are that if Dortmund were not in the Champions League next season, then the club would, over a year, be posting a loss of about €100 million. They're missing out on around €4 million every single game that's played, every single home game that's played in in front of empty stands. So €4 million? Yeah, about €4 million for every single home game. Obviously, playing in the Champions League makes up a lot of money that they would be missing out on or that they are missing out on currently anyway if you were to add the two together and miss out on the Champions League as well as all of the match day revenue that the club usually takes in I mean I say 4 million it is the club with the with usually the highest average attendance in all of Europe so you know there's a lot of talk about tickets not being expensive in Germany but when Mm -hmm. you're bringing in over over 80,000 people per game when you're selling merchandise to those people and all that sort of thing that goes hand in hand with match days then obviously it still adds up to an enormous amount in the end so yeah without Champions League without revenue from supporters being at games the club would almost definitely have to sell key names in the summer and that doesn't include Jadon Sancho Jadon Sancho will almost definitely already be sold so oh so it will be key names in addition to selling Jaden Sancho so you're, summer in order to make the money up. You're resolved to Jaden Sancho 100% leaving Dortmund? I think everybody is. I think Dortmund are. I think Jaden Sancho is. It, will, it would be an enormous shock, let's put it that way, if, if Jaden Sancho was still playing for Dortmund next season. They were obviously hoping they would get $120 million last summer if he was going to be sold then. The, a bid of 120 million wasn't forthcoming. I think everybody expected the situation in terms of the pandemic to be a little bit clearer by now, and mm. 120 million euro transfer to maybe be on the table this summer. I think that now looks incredibly unlikely that anybody will pay that for anyone this upcoming summer. So they're going to have to take whatever they can get as the highest bid for for Sancho. I think they'll probably. From from the outside looking in, I imagine they'll be lucky if that's a hundred million now, and that's probably without Champions League football still not enough. And if they want to rebuild the squad a little bit, considering they're being linked with Michael Rosa to be the new coach, and he 
will command a much bigger wage packet than Edin Terzic is currently on and a release clause to get him out of his Borussia Mönchengladbach contract. You're looking at Dortmund needing to spend a fair amount of money in the summer and it's just not going to be able to happen unless they sell Sancho plus a couple of other players probably. Or Haaland, you know, like either like a couple of players for a little lower of the of the transfer fees or Haaland on top. But then they also have to find a replacement for Haaland, which is also not easy. That's a big blow, uh, Helga, not just for Dortmund, but also for the Bundesliga. I mean, you're losing two of the most exciting young players in the, in the league, uh, not even just in the league, in the world in one summer. Uh, yeah, it would be. I think that's why Dortmund will be very unlikely to sell Haaland in the summer because replacing Sancho is already enough of a task. If they were to sell Haaland as well, then they're in big trouble. Um, but but who would you see else bringing in the the money needed? Unfortunately, Rafael Guerrero is being linked with the move away, which I think will be insane. He's been Dortmund's best player this season for me. Um, but it would be the likes of, of Giovanni Reyna, Jude Bellingham have both been linked with moves away. Thomas Delaney has one year left on his contract at the end of this season. Julian Brandt has not really lived up to expectations and, and cost the best part of 30 million. Mo Dehoud is barely playing at the moment. So that's the thing. I, is there I, going to be anybody left there next season? Well, <laughs> maybe Berkey? Oh, no, but I mean, like, you know, you're looking at maybe two of those players being sold and, okay. and Dortmund probably hoping to get 20, 30 million for each for, for two of those. So players like that, I think the, the club will be so reticent to lose all of the talent of Sancho and Haaland uh, in the space of one window. It would be so much to make up for with deals coming in that I just find it incredibly unlikely unless obviously they get a huge offer. The thing with Haaland and what Sancho doesn't have is a release clause. So Dortmund release clauses are great for German clubs so often because it means they can budget what they're going to do before knowing or before knowing how much well other clubs wouldn't know how much right without mm-hmm. a release clause how much they're going to get for a player so you're in England and you, you know you've got a star striker and you're going to sell a player there are no release clauses in England so you have to negotiate and see what money you can get Holland's contract is, release clause in his contract that kicks in in 2022 is 75 million euros so the idea next summer would be if Dortmund were to let him go it would have to be a bid well above the 75 million euro clause otherwise there's no point letting, letting him leave a year earlier more likely I think is that that bid doesn't come in and then Dortmund sell him in 2022 but now they've got 18 months to plan and they know that they're going to have 75 million euros to play with from that sale so I think the fact that he has a release clause adds a bit more security than maybe if you were to sell him now and not really know what to do with the money what how would fans react if both of them, just let's say worst case scenario both of them leave in the summer uh San John Holland uh, are the fans sort of resigned to that sort of you know that's how the club is run you know they bring in youth develop it you know make them stars and then sell them on at quite a high price or would it be sort of anarchy in the stands um i don't think it would be anarchy i think people know that Dortmund are not like it would be completely arrogant and unrealistic to think Dortmund are like Bayern or like Real Madrid or Barcelona and that when they have these players they just stay and the bigger problem is having a big vision and a big plan so I think Dortmund have over the past few years collected these top young talents from world football but there's not a grand vision of how do they actually play together? How do they all fit in as a team and what style of football do they play? And do they have a coach that can coach that style of football as well? I think fans would much, much rather see that than this kind of mishmash of ideas and players that don't really fit together in a system. The fact of the matter is Dortmund are sixth in the Bundesliga with a squad that is far and away the second most talented squad in the Bundesliga. So collecting talented players just hasn't worked and isn't working. I think it's a completely fine policy to continue with, to target young players that then develop and then move on for huge amounts of money. But that can't be it. There needs to be an idea that goes on the pitch with it. And I think fans know that. I think at the end of the day, if 
Sancho and Holland were to leave, a lot of fans would just turn around and think, we've got a hell of a lot of money for them, let's rebuild the team because it's a team that's finished sixth. What's mm. the point of keeping, well, finish sixth, you know, they're, they're sixth in the league at the moment. What's the point of keeping players to to sort of push you up the league if you're not competing while they're playing for you anyway? All of that would suggest greater structural issues at the club, like an, a lack of overall maybe identity so to speak yeah I think that's exactly what it is and okay. I think I think this ties really interestingly into Jung Klopp and Liverpool at the moment uh, where you see that Liverpool are struggling a little bit and Dortmund obviously had that poor final season under Klopp and at the time uh, or recently Hans-Jürgen Wodzka said I think last year or 2019 said that at the time it was obvious that something had to change and it's a lot easier to change a coach than to change the entire squad and that now he thinks he made the wrong decision and actually you don't find a coach like Jürgen Klopp very often and maybe they should have tried more to convince him to stay and rebuild an entire new team with the Dortmund and I think that really speaks to what Dortmund haven't done. They haven't built a team. They haven't built a team and then also hired a coach that can deliver whatever vision it is for that team to play football. So you had, over the past few years, players that played a Klopp style of football, players that played a Tuchel style of football, players that played a Favre style of football, Peter Borges in the middle as well. The, these are the, all four coaches there are completely different they ask different things of their teams of their players and it hasn't made any sense and what you're seeing in the Bundesliga with at the moment Frankfurt Wolfsburg uh, Leipzig Leverkusen who are all above Dortmund Gladbach who are level one points with Dortmund mm. you see teams that have a way of playing and players that fit that way of playing and coaches who coach that way of playing whereas Dortmund is just currently a collection of young, talented individuals with incredible potential, but no sort of overall idea of what they should actually do with all of that and what it should look like on the pitch. I don't know if Helga thinks that's right. He's not as (laughs) close to it as I am, I guess, emotionally. Um, I was listening there, but I think in general, I think we can all agree on that Dortmund can't go or move away from the from the tactic of getting in young talents and then reselling it because that's just kind of like the business model that's how they that's how they grow the club i think what they need to get to is kind of like what Gladbach is doing really well right now is that Gladbach is also bringing in young talented players but they bring in players that fit the playing style that they want to that they want to have if you look at like Turam, if you look at uh, player if you look at Mbolo it's all like for the strikers there it's like fast um, powerful players they've got the same now um, in, in midfield they've got um, like Zakaria who can provide that um, the power there kind of but they also have uh, Neuhaus next to it who can provide uh, creativity a little bit they have Lina on the as a right back who's also like a, a player that just keeps on running and they, they kind of build that team that it fits that style that that um, then they found a coach for that was perfect for it with Marco Rose as like this like Salzburg kind of or like Red Bull uh, Leipzig Salzburg kind of mentality and this is why they're so desperate to get their hands on him I guess I think it's it's one of the reasons yeah it's also that he has like this whole um, you know let's call it the like, Red Bull philosophy of, of, of playing football that they oh god <laughs> I know, I know, but they what they implemented in all of their clubs basically. Um, it is this high pressing, high intensity kind of play, which was brought in um, like originally kind of from Ralf Rangnick, but also from like from Jurgen Klopp. So that would also fit very well that they that they get a coach in that kind of brings them back to to that kind of football as well with which i think also like the fans really want because this possession play for example that, that Favre was implementing did not really work well with the with the fan base there uh lewis should we have the marco royce debate go on ian what do you want to say about marco oh i just i i just think so let's let's yeah let's preface this by i'm by saying i'm a big marco royce fan i think he's fantastic but I just think at certain moments like this, say, for example, the Freiburg game, I wonder if he could step up to the plate a bit more. 
Like he's getting what, the, what he got substituted what in the 60th minute for a 16 year old who seemed to make more of an impact than he did. I just feel like you know in these sort of you know these games where they really need to win and they should have the talent to win. And I feel like maybe the the mentality is not there from some of the bigger players in the squad to drag them up. Now I could be wrong, but that's that's my that's my my two cents on Marco Royce at the moment. I I think it's as straightforward as injuries have taken a toll, and Marco Royce's thirty one year old body is not the body of a top top footballer anymore, and this is pretty much what he can do, what he is capable of doing now. Um, I think yeah I, I think like if you're picking a Dortmund team on merit nowadays simply Marco Royce doesn't get in it and if Marco Royce had been signed two years ago by Dortmund then everybody will be talking about him being sold now the fact that he's been at Dortmund for almost 10 years he's the captain he's grown up in the city obviously as, as football fans, we all know that that changes things and that the ideal scenario for everybody involved, because it matters to have players like that, is that Marco Royce stays for another few years at Dortmund and retires at the club. That's what we mm-hmm. love to see. But he should probably do that, accepting a, a lesser role in the team now. And I think that, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for for dropping him or for not using him and him not being integral anymore. But I do think like the, like the mentality thing and things like that, I, this is a guy that has come back from so many enormous injury setbacks. He's still on course to become possibly the record goal scorer in the club's history. He's 31 years old. He's just become the player with the most assists in the club's history. I think that this is just a, something that happens in football that players get older and we when you know injuries take their toll and we all want players to be great and then we're so quick to jump on them and I also just think that the the team right now like when it comes to his form specifically like well it kind of doesn't because everybody's struggling so Marco Royce isn't playing very well but if nobody's playing well, I don't think one player can ever really be expected to drag the entire team forward and certainly not when the when the team's playing as poorly as it is. And Marco Royce is, as I said, probably not even a player that should be guaranteed a place in the team anymore. This was, so we had this we had this chat earlier, myself and Lewis uh, Helga, and it led us to wondering whether we thought what what was it, Lewis? We were debating whether he had fulfilled his potential or whether he had underperformed as, as in I think his more career. Like how people frame that. Right. So uh, I, I want to get Helga's to, thoughts on it, essentially, yeah, but where but, he stands well, on it. Well, because if, I just feel, I just feel like people talk about, you know, people get so caught up in whether or not someone fulfilled their potential that we don't, that we like end up not appreciating what they have done or what they are doing. So, you know, like, uh, you know, everybody knows I'm an Arsenal fan and we signed Theo Walcott when he was 16 and everybody was like oh they've replaced Thierry Henry well (laughs) like you know like that's the long term Thierry Henry replace him it's like congratulations he's 16 and now everybody has made sure for certain that he will be deemed a failure because he will never be able to do what you're asking him to do and people uh, Arsenal fans are very split on whether or not Theo Walcott was any good he scored over 100 goals for Arsenal and never played up front like that's a damn good career (laughs) But people are so determined for for players to be what maybe they're not supposed to be, or to or that, that it, there's no room for setbacks, and I think it it kills a lot of enjoyment of football because we talk so much or we spend so much time talking about what people can't do or haven't done instead of what they actually have achieved. Helga, take it away. <laughs> like uh, the question more was like if if Marco Reus fulfilled his full potential or. Um, what was like the answer that you're looking for now? Well, in my opinion, I, I think we were just generally talking about Marco Royce and whether, yeah, I think, I guess whether he fulfilled his his whole potential. But as as I, Lewis says, because he's he's got some amazing stats and done some brilliant things in his career, uh, but and obviously recovered from quite some some serious injuries to still continue. Uh, but could it have been more? 
I guess that's I, the way to frame it. <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's hard to say with the injuries because I mean, with like, taking these into account, I think he he came very close at fulfilling it. Because um, every time he came back, he he came back very strong. Um, to me, he's sometimes a little bit of a frustrating player in the sense that he he will score goals that that probably nobody else could. You know, like with a like a shooting technique that he has there. Like I remember some free kicks from like the the outside of the like from. You know, not in front of the goal, but more like to the left side or right side, like where he just like slams them right on the crossbar and just it's un- unbelievable. But then he runs one on one against Manuel Neuer, and then he just like he just misses these pure sitters. That's something that always kind of frustrated me with him. But on the other hand, like he's he's been really fun to watch. I think the more disappointing part that you have with him is now because that he might just be. You know that he had too many injuries, and that this is the the full potential he has now. Um, so it's kind of hard to say if he fulfilled it. You know, because if this is his limits now, then then yes, he's you know doing the best that he could with his with his um but his body let him do. Um, but yeah, right now he's he's definitely not not the help that that Dortmund needs. I would say, like I agree with Lewis though that the whole attacking um the uh, part of the of the team in the last game for example um they, they all four of them combined like Royce Brandt uh I think was it Hazard and uh Sancho they all four had less shots on goal than, than Mukoku did in half an hour mm. so like they all combined so you know like, it wasn't just Royce didn't deliver anything there it was all of them behind Haaland they were not not delivering them it's really hard and it might be that Royce is not the player to, to pick your team up in that way but it's also kind of like you could, yeah you can't expect it necessarily from one player but also maybe not from from Royce who has been out all, all this time and is now focusing on himself getting his form back uh, there may be one ray of hope for um, Dortmund season in that they are still in the quarterfinals of the cup and that's still a trophy uh, they play Gladbach uh, which is going to be interesting um, Helga you tell me that um, uh, the the fans the Gladbach fans they're not they're not happy with uh, Marco Rose at the moment uh, no they are not <laughs> because he, no, he's he's obviously very much linked to Borussia Dortmund we, we already talked about this a little bit um, but yeah, he has this release clause, and fans are kind of expecting him to to already announce a decision on what he's going to do, if he's going to go to Dortmund or if he's going to stay with Gladbach. Um, and especially in the last match day, he was he was asked about it again, and he is keeping his options open with uh, like as a, as a neutral fan or like as like a football fan you completely understand that like i would not expect him to tell anybody now what his decision is going to be at the end of the season even even if he has uh, like t- uh, taken it already cuz he's also he's on the same points with Gladbach as Dortmund is so they're four points away from Champions League that's still possible they are fighting for at least the Europa League that's a goal that they want to achieve also with the cup now mm-hmm. i i get that he's not telling his players now by the way at the end of the season i'm gone Unless he made the decision to to stay, which yeah, we're not we're not sure. Like nobody knows really except for him if he made his decision yet. But I, I completely understand as a neutral fan, but also as as a fan of Gladbach, I would probably also be disappointed in my coach not not telling me that that he's going to stay or not. Where do you think he'll? What do you think he'll do at the end of the season? Now? I'm quite sure that he's going to Dortmund. It's just the the, the club is bigger. Yeah. Is even with the financial situ- uh, situation that they're in, but also Gladbach is not in the same you know magnitude. But they also probably have to sell a player in, in Zakaria, who's very likely to leave. They looked like they replaced him already with a uh, Kone, who came in for for eight million, is now loaned back to Toulouse. But they also might you know the Corona pandemic is or like the, the financial crisis coming from that is also still affecting that club as well now looking that they might miss out on on uh, the Europa League even it's also not going to help them so there might be a restructure there there's talk about Neuhaus going to uh, to Bayern maybe 
Um, so they might have to rebuild a team there as well. So he, he might as well do that in the club with Dortmund that, as we talked about, he, they might have to sell two players or maybe three or four of the, the ones that, that Lewis mentioned if they find people that want to, to bid enough money for them or like find clubs that want to bid enough money for them. Um, but they can still generate enough money and be it with Haaland leaving to to build a new squad and to, to build an impressive squad as well that he can in the long run definitely achieve more with than with Gladbach. Okay, uh, speaking of the cup, um, Lewis, Helga told me that Werder have it in the bag this season. So uh, I think we just want to offer uh, congratulations on that one. <laughs> Is that true, Helga? No. Of course. No, uh, it's... it's Because it's, <laughs> <laughs> you play, who is it, Jan Regensburg or somebody like that uh, in, yeah, in the yeah, quarterfinals? Yeah, playing Jan Regensburg. Now it's the third second league team. Mm -hmm. They were playing, and in the first uh, round, we had a fourth league team in, in Jena. So Bremen is now um, playing against Jan Regensburg, which is, of course, you can always slip up there, but you know the chances are quite quite high that we can uh, that I can make it to the to the next round. Yeah, it'd be like say somebody like Kiel knocking out Bayern Munich or somebody like that. It just, it, <laughs> it just would never happen. You know, would never happen. No, no. would never happen. But uh, as I said, Bremen has played a lot of second league teams already this season. So and it always worked uh, quite decently for them. So they they don't underestimate them so far. And now with the chance of actually going to the semifinals and maybe even to, towards the finals, I think they are not going to underestimate uh, Regensburg. But the the other why I'm saying this is like the next um, game could be against Kiel. Because, mm, the because mighty Kiel, storks, <laughs> the mighty storks are playing uh, Rot-Weiss Essen, yeah. uh, a, which is a fourth league team. So actually, the 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 draw was perfect for the smaller teams because the big teams got drawn to uh, against each other, and the smaller teams are playing uh, each other. Um, and so the, the chances are there that in the semifinal, uh, Bremen, if they manage to qualify, could play against uh, Kiel or Essen, which then would leave a path towards the final shout out to the the Pokal has been brilliant this season I don't it, know if anybody else has watched it but it's been brilliant <laughs> to watch in the other side of the semi-final is Gladbach Dortmund and uh, Leipzig Wolfsburg so that's who you will that's who you one of them you'll be beating in the final uh, Lewis you wanted to say something just that Werder Bremen's tactic last season of spending the entire year preparing to beat <laughs> this season finally came to fruition they managed to stay up but also that long term planning really kicked in and now they are beating lower divisions <laughs> <laughs> well congratulations Helga we are delighted for you I yeah I'm already I'm, you know I'm cleaning the, the trophy already for you know to put it on <laughs> put it on display um, you uh, one I mean we Just going back to Dortmund slightly, but one crumb of comfort for their fans is that uh, Schalke, their beloved neighbours, are even deeper in the relegation mud uh, with a couple of more defeats since we last talked. Uh, but we don't really need to talk about them. But um, we did want to talk about Mainz, or at least Helga, you wanted to talk about Mainz. And I, I do want, yeah, I do want to talk about both actually. Oh, okay. Well, uh, you want to start with Mainz or you want to start with Schalke? I would, I would weave it in together because the thing is that Go for it. Uh, basically Mainz is now doing something. When you look at the regression battle, like Mainz and Schalke were both at, uh, I think, seven points for, for the halftime of the season. And they both had very different approaches on how to continue with, with that because relegation was very likely for both of them. But um, Mainz now has managed to win the last, uh, out of the last three games, they won two. Uh, one against Leipzig and one against Union Berlin, so beating some some upper uh, teams of the uh, upper part of the table. And it's quite interesting how how they both approach the situation that they're in, because if you if you look at Mainz, what they did is they uh, hired a coach in Bo Svensson, who is a former player, but who um, was then basically getting his his coaching um, uh, experience first in the youth teams of Mainz, and then he went to Liefering, who's uh, uh, the second league uh, Austrian team that is basically the farm team of uh, Red Bull Salzburg getting even more experience there and now he's back and so he is also the coach that if they should get relegated he is going to stay on 
they um, have hired a new CEO and um, their sporting director decided to leave because of that, because he felt that um, that was infringing on his um, on his responsibilities. And they get a new sporting director as well. So now they're set in, in like in this in the winter break they set they set it all up for okay this is how we're going to go forward we're going to stay uh, try to stay in uh, of course they're going to try to stay in the league but if we are going down to second league this is how we're going to continue so the the players already know we need to we need to um, bring our uh, best under this coach because there's not going to be a new one if we go down they also sold um, Mateta who they they figured out for themselves that he was a good player but from the mentality not fitting to the club they changed the whole approach there as well going like okay back before they kind of like uh like dortmund like they they got in big talents selling them for a high amount of money but they kind of didn't have an overall approach on how to build their team and that's now what they're focusing on they're like okay if we have to go down at least we're gonna you know have everything in place that that um that would help us to get back up and now we're trying like to already implement the new style of playing the new like more collective idea of playing um to uh to stay in and see where that takes us so right now they are actually four points behind only of uh bielefeld mm. uh, chances are there now that they actually might still t- make that miracle happen and if like if we talked about like you know comparing it to schalke schalke is just in panic mode you know like <laughs> if, if you compare that it's it's unbelievable because they still have a ceo that they're probably going to fire if they're going to get um get relegated or probably like maybe even fire if they stay in they don't have a sporting director because the ceo would be the one hiring that so you know he's not allowed to, or like i don't know if he's allowed but he's Definitely not going to make that decision. They're getting in players like you know Huntela, Kolasinac, Mustafi, just in, just hoping that they they might somehow save them. Um, they have exchanged their coach several times. I think they fired, or they got four different coaches. Yeah, four, four different coaches mm-hmm. this season. They are they don't have a coach yet that would take over in the second league. They're they're literally just looking until the end of the season and they don't plan anywhere ahead. And that, even though they're now at, uh, I think it's eight points after three more games. Yeah, they're they're nine points away from Bielefeld. It's so unlikely that they're staying in. They're still just focusing on the next couple of months instead of preparing the club to actually be prepared to to go to the second league and that also leads to to nobody really knowing what is going on what they're working for and yeah it's 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 a crazy it's it's a crazy situation to look at the teams because they had the same they stood at the same point and they just approaching a completely different yeah, you see the, the most successful way there and not only like you say not only is it giving months much more of a chance to stay up the way that they've done things but it's also if they do end up getting relegated it puts them in such a good position to attack next season to get promoted whereas Schalke are going to be starting from square one all over again instead of putting that sort of promotion power in place already which which we've seen quite a few times in Germany I mean look one one that springs to mind is Hoffenheim were almost guaranteed to go down in I think it's 2015 and they'd announced that some kid called Julian Nagelsmann would take over the team at the end of the season mm. and then they decided that things had got so bad that they might as well just sack the coach already and put Nagelsmann in, in February I think it was and well he saved them for rele- relegation um, mm. didn't really do much after that did he though <laughs> no apparently not um, but also still looking for him. It's the same thing that Gladbach did back uh, way back when 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 Favre took over there. Like they they were okay. We're so far away that we're going to bring in a coach now in Favre that is not just you know um, like putting out the fire that we're having or like it's trying to put out the fire. No, we're bringing in a coach that is bringing in a new idea of football that we want like in the future want to play with and we're going to see if this is you know what's going to what's going to help us now i don't know if i said that in the in the last podcast when we talked about Schalke, but when they made their coach uh, coach decision like who's going to be the next one and they brought in uh, christian gross it was i was completely confused by because it it's just another coach who's trying to have them sit you know like like defend compact and like kind of like defend well and hopes that somehow they're going to score a goal on the counter or like they don't really you know they have like this really basic idea of like okay this is like how we're going to try to to save ourselves Mm -hmm. 
uh, like I was kind of expecting them to do something completely different because they had that before. They they had that with Baum. They had that with Wagner, who uh, later on didn't really do anything with the pressing anymore or high pressing. I, I really thought they're going to bring in, for example, Zorniger, who was at Stuttgart before and also at Leipzig. Um, who is completely different. He's like, just, okay, we attack and chaos on the field and, 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 and pressing. And it's like, okay, that might not work, but at least you have a completely, you know, like you have a new approach there on like how you're trying to save yourself. You know, like Mainz brought in a new coach that has a different idea of how they want to play. And Schalke just basically hired a coach that did the same as the coaches before him <laughs> and expected a different result. And now, which is the most crazy thing, is like that he has been the fifth coach, I think, who... Um, has lifted the suspension that was put on before on Nabil Bentaleb, who's now back in the team. And they're also, like, it happened four times already. He was suspended and then brought back into the team after the transfer window closed because now they're suddenly hoping that, that he could be the savior that he was never has never been before. And I don't know what, the, what message, uh, message that is sending to, to players who are on the bench who like don't get a chance but this player who has been suspended four or five times is is coming back i, I don't know like they're they're in absolute panic mode it's it's un unbelievable i could see them becoming a new hamburg i.e getting relegated to the bundesliga zwei and then being stuck down there for for quite some time until they you know till they really get their shit together it could be yeah no. like it could even, could even be worse like if they're if they because they're financially really mm -hmm. uh, they, they're looking at a, at a high amount of debt they are really not in the position to to um, invest a lot unless they are they might be able to sell McKenney and uh, Osan Kabak who's at Liverpool right now which is on a, on a buying option though like but I don't know if they get relegated and they really need the money and he's not brilliant at Liverpool maybe in the next couple of months um, I think maybe Liverpool is going to renegotiate that as well because they know that Schalke needs every penny um, like I they they might even end up as Kaiserslautern is right now you know going even further down if they don't manage to get back up immediately that's that's the the problem they have they they would have to get back up after a year they can't afford to become like Hamburg you know being two three years in the second league it's it's really a uh, precarious situation that they're in um, speaking of precarious situations I would be slightly worried if I were a Hertha fan. I know I they would, have. I know they I have would a new. Be so too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Because I know that they have a new manager, and they obviously have Sami Khedira uh, there now. But I mean, they're still they're on the same points as uh, Armenia Bielefeld with game more played. So seventeen points, twenty games played. Uh, I could see them being dragged into this too. No, even further if if Mainz make that run that we'd expect them to make. Yeah, they're only it's four points ahead of Mainz. Mm. It's big trouble. Um, Pau Dada has returned to the club. Uh, he, all of these clubs who it basically have made no progress after two years and then bring back the same coach that they decided it wasn't good enough to take them any further. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's he's come in. He's coached a couple of games so far. So it's a bit, you know, one of them was against Bayern. So it's a bit too soon to say what's really going to happen there. I thought they were good against Bayern Munich on Friday night. I thought they yeah. played well. I thought they were actually pretty unlucky to lose. And I think that when you compare them to Mainz, when you compare them to Schalke, in my opinion, just too far gone, they just will not catch anybody now. Uh, when you compare them to Mainz, when you compare them to Bielefeld, the one thing that they've got that those teams don't have is just talent. And even when things are going badly, talent will still win you games it might not quite win you enough games to stay up every season but more often than not it will and with especially Matthias Cunha but also Dodi Lukabakio Lucas Toussaint in midfield there's just enough there to there's not enough there to, to put them into mid-table there's not enough there without good coaching to make anything more than just survival out of the season or even if next season if they weren't to, to add to the squad or, or change coach but there's just enough to get enough points to stay above Bielefeld and Mainz I think I'm always amazed at these managers who come back years afterwards <laughs> like it's going to really make a difference like if you weren't good enough a couple of years ago probably nothing you've probably not done too much in between to increase that but anyway no but the thing is actually with Dada if you're if you, I think he might be a decent uh, decent appointment at the moment because he's going to calm things down because the thing is back then he was not 
deemed a bad coach, but he was kind of like deemed too boring. Oh, okay. Because because Hertha's new approach was, oh, we're a big city club, we're we're gonna, you know, like, <laughs> like, like we're we're growing now, like we're attacking for Europa League, and they didn't think he could make that happen. But you know, he was good enough for midfield. Kind of was the perception he's good enough for midfield, but not okay. you know to go further up. Didn't um, quite work out for Hertha in that respect. No, that's that's also why they now have a new uh, sporting director. <laughs> well, not sporting director, but like taking over from Michael Preetz, who lost his job over his coaching decisions over the last uh, couple of years. Um, so I think he's is not a bad appointment because he, like that club has has just had turmoil or like you know like just so many things happening there was like the Klinsmann saga that we talked about last season with like changing coaches all over the place with just buying and like spending a lot of money on players that then didn't help them and like they just need someone to calm this down and I think Dadai at least for their fan base is really good for that because he's really like like a, a person that is not like, like fancy shiny in that sense you know like that he's like like anywhere with these ambitions of like becoming like a Europa League club he's like no like he's realistic he's like, like we're gonna you know put order into the like into the team that we're playing uh like you know like disciplined and and I think they're gonna make up the, the like enough points in the end okay it was just that they really didn't need this detour of the last two years wasting 150 <laughs> 200 million euros on players just to be right where they they basically left off. I miss those Klinsman days. Those were, <laughs> those were good days. Uh, you kind of mentioned Bayern Munich. We are recording this before they play their match against uh, Tigres. Uh, Helga, nobody in Germany cares about the World Club World Cup, do they? I always thought so, but I was surprised. Um, they they released the the viewing numbers of um, how many people watched the semifinal and it was actually quite a lot. <laughs> so oh, yeah, people... it, def- it definitely was not me. <laughs> I was not one of those watching it. Did you watch it, Lewis? That... Oh no. Okay, good. Yeah. Sorry, Helga, go ahead. No, I also didn't watch it. Um, okay, that's good. To know. I was I was not working, so that's that's ah. like my my luck to that day. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I mean. Uh, in the general perception, I don't think people take it as seriously as anywhere mm-hmm. outside of Europe. But I think it's the same as as in England. I don't think, uh, well, in the UK, I don't think anybody really was biting their nails when Liverpool was competing in it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably yeah. not. If Derry get if Derry get there, I'll watch it. Right? But, uh, but, but but without that, I'm probably not going to. Don't uh, hold your breath. No. Oh God, no, no, no. There's no. not the time to talk about Derry, but we've, we're having a decent <laughs> decent preseason, I'll say. Um, so you're on your way, you sir. We're on our way. We'll get, get. <laughs> step at a time. Um, I mean, there's no need to talk about all those Bayern quotes that are coming out of that trip. Uh, they're pretty. Yeah. No, but when you talk about the viewing figures, perhaps yeah. causing an enormous, controversial, just absolute load of nonsense that went on with their with their delayed flight, maybe that actually helped the viewing figures and oh, yeah. brought attention to. The <laughs> there, there's no bad press. No, there's no, <laughs> there's no bad press. press. Yeah, well, I don't. I mean, when does anybody ever really know when the club or cop stuff's happening? But if it's in the headlines all day on Saturday mm. afternoon, then. People yeah. might be looking out for it a little bit more than usual. And those poor players having to sit in all that comfort. I, yeah, my, <laughs> my heart bleeds for them. <laughs> uh, behind Bayern in second is Leipzig, then comes Wolfsburg. Now, I wanted to talk about Wolfsburg, but uh, Helga tells me they're the plain bread of topics, and that, that's her, his exact words. You can quote me on that. Yeah. I think more than ju- Helga needing to justify that, I think you need to justify you, why you would want to really talk about Wolfsburg. <laughs> well, I'm sort of interested to know how they got the third because that's decent they're they're really organized they're really really organized i think only leipzig i think have more clean sheets this season they're probably right now one of the better pressing teams in the bundesliga they're good defensively and then they usually have a goal they usually get a goal um they you know they win more tackles they make more interceptions than pretty much everybody else and Mm. I think what a lot of football clubs could do with focusing on, they just make sure they beat the teams they're better than. And It's a good policy, though. Well, yeah. yeah. And they've lost twice this season and the two games were to, to Bayern and Dortmund. And I think basically you just... I think that just encapsulates what they are. They're, they're a team that is very organised and you need to be good and talented to manage to break that down. And They're actually... like they're, they're really, like, 
one of the main topics there as well for me is Lewis just said it. They only they only been beaten twice. They have um, tied eight times out of out of twenty games and won ten. They're just really tough to beat as well. You know, like they that's also the way they started a little lower at the beginning of the of the season is that they they tied a lot of games, <clears throat> but in the end, then if you ha- if you string together, then like three four victories maybe in a row or like in out of five games then suddenly you jump towards the the, the top um, top part of the table and a lot of what helped them a lot as well is that they got kicked out of the europa league in the qualification it's usually, stage. usually a good thing for people's season <laughs> no like they it's just that i really expe- I expected them to to be challenging for europe again but I expected them further down because they would be like I imagine with the with the schedule that we're having right now that they would be way more exhausted if they play because they also were in the earliest stage of the qualification, but they dropped out in the second round of the qualification so they they could actually have a, a preseason that allowed them now to be in good shape. If they would have played had, uh, had to play all those qualification games, then the group stage they would be exhausted by now. That's why I figured they would be lower uh, in, the, in the table. See how good that was interesting. <laughs> but way better than plain bread. Is this a typical German thing? If something's boring, you describe it as plain bread? Uh, yeah, or is this, is this just a Helga thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think, I don't know, like there's, you know, a similar saying in, in German, which, okay. you know, like kind of translates into that. But Okay, very good. Uh, is there anything we should be looking out for this weekend in the Bundesliga? Anything worthwhile? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing this weekend. But if anybody wants to watch the Bundesliga, just watch Stuttgart. Just always watch Stuttgart games. Oh, they play Hertha this weekend. Yeah, don't watch that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this this weekend is you know it's it's made for you know like there's the the simulcast like the conference that we have where they have just switched in between the games. It's, it's made for that because oh, it is a pretty dreadful weekend actually. <laughs> Leverkusen, Mainz, Werder, Freiburg, Union against Schalke. Yeah, I would mm. I would just say to people look out for for Stuttgart and Frankfurt because they're. In my opinion, the two most exciting teams in the league by far. Um, but don't watch them this weekend because they're playing Hertha and Cohn. So look out for them, but not now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you, gentlemen. We are off to the land of the Camino de Santiago and Spain's best beaches. It's Galicia, it's Celta Vigo, it's Manu Dominguez. Manu, uh, Spain's best beaches in Galicia, or am I am I off the am I off the target here? No, never doubt about that. The best beaches <laughs> in Spain are in Galicia, but we have not really so nice weather, like for example in Catalonia or in Mallorca. But come on, if you are looking for a really good food and good places uh, close to the sea, Galicia is your is your destination. Yeah. So my my research for this part of the podcast was essentially Google imaging uh, Galicia, and goodness me, it is it looks like the most beautiful place on earth. <laughs> It yeah, looks it's amazing. amazing. Yeah, we used to say, instead of Galicia, we used to say California, you know, oh. because when the, when the sun is shining, we have like yeah, amazing places to go. But also for us, is we are quite happy about that. Don't be so famous, like for example, Mallorca, because it's only for us. So we can enjoy mm. during the summer and we don't have so many tourist people that they come to, to our places and we can always find, you know, this nice spot uh, into the beach. So you're, so Galicia, for those who don't know, is up in the northwestern corner of Spain, uh, just above Portugal has it got that strong sense of difference to the rest of Spain or um is it like or does it feel part of Spain because you know there's there's certain regions of Spain where they feel very different to the rest of the country yeah and we are actually one of them because uh, in oh. Spain there are three uh, historical communities with three historical languages that the language is older than the Spanish one, and that is Catalonia, Basque Country, and Galicia. What happened? Everyone knows about the Basque Country conflict. Everyone knows about the Catalonia conflict. Mm-hmm. But nobody knows about the Galician conflict because we are a poor community if you compare with Basque Country and Catalonia. So we never are going to try to fight for the independence because we don't really think that we can survive without Spain. But that's true that, for example, uh, so many people in Galicia, they consider themselves closer to Portugal than, for example, closer to the Spanish tradition or Spanish singularities. Wow, that's interesting. Even our language is quite similar to Portuguese. Oh, yeah, you have, so you have a separate language as well, yeah, that, which is yeah, interesting. Yeah, we have Galician, yeah. that it's mm. a kind of mix between Spanish and Portuguese, and I can speak in Galician with a 
person from Lisbon or even from Sao Paulo, and it's easy for them to understand me, and I can understand them when they speak in Portuguese. Well, there you go. Not only football. You know, we can we can give the history tip too. Uh, so we do, we, we say it's Celta Vigo, um, but in Spain, Manu, as, as you've told me before, much to my amazement, uh, people tend to have two clubs. Yeah, it's How does really this sad. work? How can you have two clubs? That's, that doesn't make sense to me at all. Yeah, it's a really sad story. If you <laughs> how, how, how the people in Germany or in England, they, they really love, they really feel their team. And in Spain, we have, you know, this kind of mentality. Everything is black or white. Everything is Barcelona, Real Madrid. The media only informs about Barcelona and Real Madrid. So almost 70% of the people, they have one favorite team that is Barcelona and Real Madrid or even if they have like this favorite team as Celta de Vigo, Sevilla or Betis still they there is this kind of feeling like okay but I prefer more Barcelona than Real or more Real than Barcelona and that's why everyone in Spain almost everyone I, I wouldn't say all of them because mm-hmm. a lot of people they used to see in this uh, we hate Barcelona and Real Madrid before to, to the stadiums try to show that they are not in that group in general everyone in Spain they, they have this Two teams feeling, yeah. Okay, so uh, why Celta then? Uh, yeah, I have to try to be honest from the beginning. Since I was born, my favorite team has been always Barcelona because oh. I, 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 I raised in a <laughs> Barcelona fan family. So I, I have never had this connection with Celta de Vigo till I was around 18, 19 years old when I started university. Uh, my flatmate at that time was a, a real Celta de Vigo fan and he just bring me this this feeling. And actually, when I decided to leave uh, Spain, to leave Galicia, and I was living in different countries, you know, I, I was feeling proud when people were asking me, what's your favorite team? And at the beginning, I was saying Barcelona, but after that, I say, why not? I'm from Galicia. I'm proud of my of my origin. And my favorite team is Delta because even we, we play a good football, so why not? And so, as as a youngster, you weren't really going to you weren't really going to the to the Celtic games or anything like that. It's more of a thing you developed as uh, when yeah. you got older. Yeah, actually, first time when I went to to, to so the first twice that I went to the Celta de Vigo Stadium, I, I, I went there to watch Barcelona. Mm-hmm. The first time Barcelona, the second time Barcelona second team, which was coached by Luis Enrique and with such as amazing players like Thiago Alcantara, Nolito, Jonathan Soriano. Mm-hmm. It was a really good second team for Barcelona. And I remember Barcelona won zero three against Delta, but I was I guess sixteen or seventeen years old. And then when when I when I turned eighteen, I just met that guy, that friend of mine, Adrian, mm-hmm. and he just bring me a couple of times to the stadium and I started to, to feel this Celta de Vigo feeling like, okay, you know, when you win and you're a Barcelona fan, it's okay, we win again, you know, it's okay. But when you win and you're a Celta fan, it's like, hey, we did it, you know, during seven days in a row, you're going to be really happy because you get a win that for you is, is not a trophy, but almost. I The one thing I do remember about the stadium, uh, Bal- is it Baladias? Is that what it's called? Ba- yeah, Balaidos, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if they still have it, but they used to have the blue and white, uh, the, the the seats done in blue and white. It was quite 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 easy on the eye, quite nice to see. I don't know. Do they still have it like that? Uh, yeah, there is. There was a, a reform in, in the last three years, and, and even we only not, we not only did have this this image about the the, this, the sky blue and the sea, mm-hmm. but also we have like the athleticism around. But they just took it away and I mean, to to run like to do like some athletics competition, mm-hmm. and it was like really ugly for me because you know the, the supporters you, you don't feel that they are close to the pitch. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess three or four years ago they just changed it completely, and now Valladolid it, it looks like quite 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 nice, yeah. Okay, lovely. Uh, so, for those who don't know too much about the club, maybe you could give us a, a quick history lesson then. Mm, yeah, actually, we are a team with no too much history. That's the truth. We have no trophies at all, zero titles, oh. almost, almost 100 years of history. We are going to turn 100 in, in two, uh, 2023. But, but, yeah, I mean... Actually, there is always this fight between Deportivo de la Coruña and Celta de Vigo, which actually are the most important teams in, in Galicia. Of course, Deportivo de la Coruña, everyone knows. They won one Liga, two Copa del Rey. They played semifinals in Champions League in 2004. So talking about history, they are like bigger than us. But then, if, for example, you check the historical classification in La Liga, Celta de Vigo has more, get more points than Deportivo de la Coruña. Nowadays, Deportivo de la Coruña is in third division. So we can say proudly that nowadays we are the, the biggest team in, in the region. Deportivo de la Coruña in the third division? Yeah, it's sad. It's sad because for the Celta de Vigo fan, actually we are talking about the most exciting match per year. And I don't know why, but I think that it's going to take long that we, we can see a Celta de Vigo 
against Deportivo again this year, for example, Deportivo play against second team of Celta de Vigo, and Celta de Vigo won in Riazor, one two. It was actually, you know, for us it's even better than a trophy. You know, mm. our second team won in Riazor. <laughs> you know, like we are gonna be making fun of them like forever uh, what strikes me just looking through the, the sort of the honours of the club it's a lot of times when they're runners up they're runners up in the second division a couple of times they're runners up in the Copa del Rey a couple of times that just seems like a club that never quite there just... now we have we have been always unlocking the right moments especially <laughs> if, if, if I had to say one it was like three years ago with Perizzo in the bench we played semi-finals in Copa del Rey and semi-finals in Europa League so we were re- we were really close to to reach an important final Copa del Rey we played I guess three three Copa del Rey finals but we lost all of them mm-hmm. but in Europa League against Manchester United we, we lost 0-1 in Balaidos but then in Old Trafford we were o sea, we were 1-1 and in the last minute we had the chance. If we had scored that chance against Manchester, Mourinho's Manchester United, we had reached the final against Ajax and, you know, one match, mm. final, everything can happen. Imagine that actually today, 10th of February, we, we were talking about a team with a Europa League uh, reached uh, three years ago, so it would be completely different. Oh, yeah, I, I know this feeling. Um, the... Um well, we're going to say top three moments in the history of the club, but are there even top three moments? Yeah, I guess that I can surprise you. I can give you some information. Yeah, go probably, on. probably yeah. people that they don't don't feel Celta, they don't they don't know Celta. They they, they actually don't know. We played the, the a really good UEFA or Europa League in the in the, at the end of the nineties. Uh, we won against Benfica, that probably the best Portuguese team in the history. We won seven zero in Balaidos. Mm. Then we had to play against Juventus. That actually probably the biggest team in, in Italy was Juventus which he was coached by Ancelotti with Zinedine Zidane for example and Celta de Vigo won 4-0 in Balaidos and then we had to play in the last 16 against Liverpool with Steven Gerrard and we not only won in, in Balaidos 3-1 but also we won in the second left in Anfield uh, 0-1 with Revivo a guy from Israel that he, he's really loved in, in, in Galicia he scored the goal and we reached the quarterfinal but in the quarterfinal we lost against Olympique Marseille but I mean this season winning teams like Juventus uh, Benfica 7-0 Aston Villa Liverpool it was a really good one and then we reached the Champions League as well at the beginning of the 20s, uh, 2004. We played in the same group with Milan that had won the Champions League the year before and we won in San Siro 2 uh, against this Milan with Shevchenko, Inzaghi, Andrea Pirlo. Yeah, that, that was so, a decent, I mean, that was a very decent Milan side. Yeah, and it was like as well. It was actually not a very decent Celta side because we got relegated this season. <laughs> but again, we won in San Siro. So twenty years after, nobody speaks about okay, we got rele- we got relegated in that season. So we won against Milan. We won against the Champions League, uh, the uh, champion in in San Siro that year. I think it did. You did you go out to Arsenal that year in the round of sixteen? If I remember correctly. Yeah, we lost against Arsenal in the in the round of sixteen. Yeah, mm-hmm. in Highbury. Okay, uh, so that's the top two. Is there another one you wanted to, to throw in there, Manu? Yeah, I would say if we have talking, if we have to talk about the best and the worst moment, maybe this match against against Mourinho's Manchester United that oh. we we lost in the Europa League in the Europa League semi final because you know you have to see the chance. Guidetti was in front of the goal and he didn't want to shoot. He just passed the ball to to Bobu, one French striker, and even he didn't expect the ball. He didn't took the chance, and you know, nine, 89 minutes. So yeah, it was it was our moment to reach a European final. Yeah. I mean, why pass? Why pass it when you're in that position? Is what I would say. Um, the is that does that get down as the worst moment, or did you did you did you have anything else that sort of qualifies yeah, as the I mean, worst moment? I would moment? say the worst moment because when you are so close to to reach a European mm-hmm. final and, and you don't get it, it was it was really sad to say. It was a party. I, I had no the chance to go to to go to Old Trafford. I was planning on it, but it was like a few tickets to to for the Celta supporter. And, you know, it was a, a big party. You, you could see the videos of Celtas fans in Manchester singing in Old Trafford and mm-hmm. in amazing stadium. Uh, but yet you didn't get it for, for nothing, for centimetres. So it was the worst moment for at least the current Celta history in the last five, ten years. Um, are there any interesting stories behind the club crest or the, or the colours or the team colours? Mm. Nothing too. 
Nothing too crazy. Yeah, actually, nothing came to my mind. I mean, we are our colors are for the, for the people that they don't know. Mm-hmm. We we wear sky blue because yeah, we are a kind of yeah linked with the nature, with the beach, and mm-hmm. with actually the, the sky blue is not the color of our our weather there because it's always raining. <laughs> but, uh, but but yeah, I mean, and then this refer to the Celts because of the Celta, like mm-hmm. Celtic Glasgow, and we have this red cross in in our logo because it's related with the with the city of Vigo. Ah, okay, well that makes sense then. Um, who goes down as the sort of iconic player or manager in the club's history? The one that that represents what the club is all about yeah for me no doubts I would say Iago Aspas he's still playing there in Vigo he's the top scorer in Celta de Vigo history he's in the top he's number 57 in La Liga history top scorer number 57 only five goals behind Ronaldo Nazario for example so probably this season he will enter in the top 50 in the La Liga history which is actually a lot mm. we're talking about a player who, who played in the second division for a while and even he went, he went to, to the Premier League to, to play he was playing in Liverpool so he's our best player in the history then we have like Another amazing players like, for example, Mostobol, Valery Carpin, Gustavo Lopez, Kudel uh, or Lugo Penef. But yeah, I would go for, for Yao Aspas. Uh, his time at Liverpool wasn't a success. I think it's probably fair to say. Um, he certainly was behind the likes of Coutinho, Sterling, Surridge, Suarez, those sort of, those sort of strikers. Um, what did, do we know what happened there or why he, he's just better suited to La Liga? Is that, is that the thinking? Yeah, actually, I have spoken with with friends of him, and the most problem that he had there is that he never felt himself at home. He's a real, really family person, and you know, in Vigo he switched perfectly because he's in his hometown. Mm-hmm. And then he went to Liverpool, probably in the worst moment for a striker to move to Liverpool because that season Luis Suarez and Sturridge they were first and second top scorer in the Premier League. Yeah, so were, I tried to compete with the two best strikers in, in 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 the competition. It was really hard for for him. But then everyone remembered this corner quick that he take he took terrible. I don't remember against who. I, I think it was against against Chelsea. I remember that. Um, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, it was really unlucky for him. But his numbers are there, his stats are there, and and actually nobody can discuss that he's one of the best players in, in La Liga so far. Okay. Um so where does the where does the club stand today? Yeah, today we are fighting in the middle of the table. We have to remember that the last two seasons Delta fight for the no relegation till the last mm-hmm. match. So it was like really tough ones and, and it's a pity because as I said in the last five years, we have had and we still have one of the best players in La Liga. For example, because there are like so many English users who they are the ones who used to listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. I just want to show some data in order to, to really show that it's real when I say that Aspas is one of the top strikers in La Liga. Because if, if you check the last five seasons, not only this one, the last five, so we're not talking about one season wonder, there are only two players in La Liga that they have scored more goals than Diago Aspas or they have a better goals rate per match than Diago Aspas and they are actually Lionel Messi and Luis Suarez so no Benzema no Antoine Griezmann for example they have scored more goals or they have had a better rate than Diago Aspas and we are talking about a guy who played in Celta de Vigo for the no relegation so it's not Messi providing assist or Isco or Tony Cross, and still he has scored 84 goals in 149 matches in the last five seasons so actually it's amazing I would like to compare him with I don't know Kun Agüero Lewandowski or Cristiano Ronaldo Cristiano Ronaldo probably he would be really high like Messi but I don't think so that Iaguas was number they are too far away from Lukaku's Kun Agüero's or, or this company So why is he then because his name is never mentioned so he has these amazing stats and despite his time in Liverpool I think we all know he's a, he's a pretty decent player How? why do you think then he never gets mentioned amongst the, the top players? I think that he tried the experience abroad, it didn't work, and at the end he's the best paid in Vigo, he's at home with his family. Vigo is an amazing city to live, with, mm-hmm. as I told you, incredible gastronomy, good beaches, in summer like these four months in, in summer the weather is amazing. So why not? He's not going to feel better in other places than, than in Vigo. Mm. And every season he's scoring, yeah, 15-20, 15-20. Kind of, for example, let us say in, in the Premier League, Leticia, he, he never he never wanted to, to change. He was in his in his former team. He was in, in the team that he was feeling uh, loved. Um, and Yaguaspas is doing something similar. But 
as I say, the numbers are there, better numbers than Benzema, than Antoine Griezmann. So just I wanted to use this podcast in order to to ask a little bit of respect for him in, in the in the English in the English media and in the English users. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think with those numbers, that's that can certainly be true. Um, what in, what are the hopes, the sort of plans, the aims for this season? I mean, I guess it's at the moment, it's comfortably middle table. You're in 10th, mm-hmm. 26 points from 22 games. Yeah, everything changes when when we hired the new coach Eduardo Caudet because we were we were in the in the bottom of La Liga when he arrived mm-hmm. and and then he just did like I guess five wins in a row. Last last Monday we have get a draw in we draw against Atlético de Madrid in, in Wanda Metropolitano. That's why Atlético de Madrid has won every match at home, but only two draws against Villarreal and against Celta now. And yeah, I think that. Our our expectations must be to be in the middle table. We we cannot forget that we were in the bottom of La Liga three months ago. And even if so many people they are saying now, yeah, why not? European competitions, in my opinion, we don't have uh, an eno- uh, enough squad. The squad is too short in order to try to to be in Europe. So I don't know. After two seasons competing till the last match day for for don't be relegated, I think that to be in the middle table for us is is quite okay. What um, what what could have changed since you came in? He changed the way of playing because we were uh, our previous coach was Oscar Garcia, who actually trained Brighton, I guess, in in England. And Oscar Garcia is a Barcelona style coach with touch the ball, keep the possession. And Eduardo Codet is close to this Pielsa style, close to this Berizzo style, high, high press, uh, motivate the players. He's always talking, always talking, always try to keep the competence in the in the squad. And yeah, I think that this big change, when, when you get a new coach, sometimes they are this, there is this click, you know, that everything changed in the mentality of your players. Mm-hmm. And it happened instantaneously when when Codet arrives to Vigo we lost against Sevilla his first match but then it was five wins in a row and the team you could feel the team was better connected but yeah then we got like another really not so good uh, performance for three four matches but then it's like two draw two draw consecutively and we will see this Friday against Elche but but I think it was like that you know this change of the mentality okay thanks very much Manu you're welcome Ian it's always a pleasure to talk about Elta Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Helga, Lewis and Manu. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, should you miss us, you can listen to the back catalog on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast hit. And if you want to get in touch, the address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com.